What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. One stage twice, gives the belly, 35-foot three for the win. Devania, Pialista. It's with us every time, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. For 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Uh, no Rich Ivanowski on this episode, but uh, myself and a great guest. It is PD Webb. I'm sure most of you on Twitter are very familiar with him. It's at Above the Break 3. I appreciate you joining me today, PD. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm excited to have some Kings. Yeah, and uh, today we're, you know, you just put out a piece recently, an extremely in depth piece on. Alexei Pokusevsky, and that was kind of the goal of diving into him here today and giving our listeners a little bit more insight into him. I know when Vlade was still around, everybody was terrified Poku was going to be the pick, but uh, you know maybe that's not the worst case if Poku does become the guy for Sacramento at 12. But I think you know this is a guy that you mentioned one of one, and a lot of you know you see a lot of people mentioning him as unique, rightfully so. So I think it'd be good to kind of dive into him a little bit here. And, you know, the way I wanted to start it out, you mentioned towards the top of your piece that it was quite a hunt for film to find on Poku being in the Greek Second League. What does that hunt look like? Are you just Googling like crazy or what? Yeah, so um, it involves a lot of Google Translate, trying to find, like, you know, Uh how to spell Olympiakos in in the Greek alphabet, how to spell the league title, uh, like matching days up. Um, and then just asking everybody who, you know, has put out a piece like, hey, do you have any of these games? Um, and luckily I was able to find three or four just for Poop. And like, I actually have this, you know, uh, game from, you know, the ones I was really interested in were the later ones because that's kind of when he looked the best. And I was able to get 15 games of the, like, 18 he played. He had one where he had, a, a like, an ankle injury in, uh, in Serbia. Then there's the one-minute game in uh, – in in the Euroleague, and then I think there's one he like didn't play because of team decision. So I think I got 15 of like the 17 and a half uh, games, which I, I feel like is a pretty good sampling for a guy who's you know a legitimate mystery prospect. Mm-hmm. And then my understanding was the year before it was some extremely weird situation that maybe you can clarify a little bit for me and the listeners, um, where he played eight total minutes, right? So. Um, the way that European competitions work is that if you're a good enough team, you get to play in like a, a pan-European competition similar to um, how soccer works. And so for the senior team, he played eight total minutes across three games over two years. Um, so I think he played like two and a half once, three once. And then this year he played one year league game, which is you know the same level that Luca played in, the same level that Killian Hayes plays in. You know, you, you do it every like once a week or once a month, twice a month during the season, um, intermittently. And, uh, yeah, they played him for one minute and, like, 45 seconds. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, And then you also kind of mentioned that they figured Poku would never be an asset for him uh, was the wording that you used. And is that 
it, it, am I reading that correctly? And, you know, he's going to go to the NBA, like we're not going to get anything for him sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a couple of factors here. Um, it's difficult to sort of parse this out because a lot of this happens behind closed doors and you kind of have to set aside some, um, some naivete and, and start to speculate on like, why is this really talented player only playing, you know, uh, 25 minutes a game at a lower level? Um, and the answer that you kind of get is that the, the, he was put on the back burner. He was allowed to play minutes, but there's a, you know, a mutually agreed frustration with how the situation turned out with Boku's two years at Olympiacos. Right. And then when you're looking at this, I mean, this is my very first year actually diving into the draft. So obviously a very big learning curve for me here. And one of the difficulties with Poku and, you know, also for the guys playing in the NBL and things like that is the competition level and how that compares to NCAA. Um, How do you how do you take that into account? Is it just like certain skills you're looking for when you're considering the competition level, you know, being lower at obviously like a Greek second league? Um, what what goes into that when you're watching the film considering that? And the beauty of, um, of European guys is they play in a lot of different competitions. So you get to see them in multiple venues. Um, so the competition level of Greek B is much different than the competition level of like under 18 euros, which is different than under 17 euros just different than, you know, uh, the French League or what you want to see from guys across the different um, competition levels, um, whatever the strength or weakness may be, is that they can adapt to the situation. Um, and being extremely skinny um, is always a pain um, Because it doesn't matter how talented guys are. Like, if you are not strong enough to finish their contact, that's going to be a problem, whether, you know, you're playing football players at know, in our mural level, or you're playing in the NBA. So with Poku, you get to see a lot of opportunities where guys who are not NBA big, but, you know, are large, can give him trouble around the rim. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for listeners not aware, which I'm sure most are, yeah, 7 feet, 201 pounds with a 7'3 wingspan. And when you're first kind of diving into Poku here, what was the first skill or, or, or trait, or even maybe if it was the build that, that stood out to you with him? Yeah, I would say it's the movement skills. Um, guys who are seven foot, I mean, Poku is probably closer to seven one now. Um, however, he has like a huge head and a pretty long neck, so he's functionally shorter than that. So, you know, the plus three thing, wingspan differential is probably closer to like a plus four or plus five. Um, but when you watch him move, there's, uh, it's pretty unnerving because guys aren't supposed to move quite like that. A lot of his handle looks like a you know six three six four combo guard in America, and when you combine that with his shot selection, which is you know a lot of off dribble threes and a lot of off movement threes, um, pretty quickly you see that this is a really different prospect than what we usually see for you know uh, he's seventeen through most of these clips. Right. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit of like guard skills almost to him in a way. I love that at one point in the piece, you know, you, you were like he's not a guard, he's not a wing, he's not a big, he's a poku. And, you know, just speaks to the whole one-of-one one thing there. And um, I guess just kind of get into some of the skills of him that you're talking about here, um, maybe starting with, with the shot and uh, the variety to it. You know, you pointed out in your piece that the percentages weren't amazing from Poku, um, but, you know, when you have this combination of there's some catch-and-shoot, there's movement threes, again, at this ridiculous height, and specifically the off-the-dribble being extremely unique, um, And, you know, there's going to be a gravity to guys that are willing to take these contested shots, um, especially with that height shooting over guys and things like that. Can you just kind of speak to how, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you almost seemingly can overlook or, or there's an asterisk on it with the difficulty of shots, obviously, and considering off the dribble uh, past just the percentages with him. Yeah. So I've had, I've had 26 grade over the, uh, 17 games, um, which is 29.5%, um, which on its face doesn't look great. Um, but when you look at the, the quality of shots, Poku takes things that, um, like double step backs are fairly normal. Um, you know, he'll shoot behind screens. He gets run off and down on a regular basis. Um, for his Serbian team, his usage was basically as a two guard. So they you know, throw a kitchen sink where it's like it's a DHO to a back screen to a pin down to another DHO, and he'd shoot behind the DHO, you know, off the dribble. And um, those shots, 
do not make an efficient um, player. Uh, as the season went on, his shooting form started to even out. Um, as a skinny guy, he has some some issues with generating power in his lower legs, and I think he shoots forward more than up, more than I like. Um, but when you combine, you know, the shot difficulty with his uh, his free throw shooting, where he's at like a 75%, I think that it's extremely likely that Poglu will be at least an NBA um, average three-point shooter, if not higher, as he ages out. And and then also, I mean, the ridiculous volume that he's shooting with from three as well, right? Where he doesn't have uh, much mid-range going on in his game, and the you know the gravity of say like obviously extremely different player, but like Jay Crowder has a gravity to him, even though he doesn't shoot a great percentage because he shoots a lot of them. Um, so the the amount of threes that Poku's thrown up there as well obviously has an impact on that, right? Yeah, his uh, his three point attempt rate is like which is it's a lot of threes, and it's right. a lot of threes from a lot of different places. Yeah, I, I definitely I like the potential there as well. And then um, it, for the handle, that obviously is a big deal with the off-the-dribble um, shooting as well. You mentioned a lot of uh, deception and pace to his handle. Um, wh- when you're looking at the way that he is able to to dribble the ball and and create for himself or get into openings with that. What do you see that you do and don't like from the handle of Poku? Um, I mean, you covered what I like a lot. I mean, he also transitions from his handle to his jumper really effectively. Um, for a lot of tall, skinny guys, they can struggle to get the ball to the rim off the dribble from distance, especially in and out of complex moves. Um, the things that are difficult is that um, he's not he's so physically underdeveloped that small guards can fluster him and he can have trouble uh, blowing by when they crowd his handle because they can just keep him at bay. Um, the same thing goes for finishing. He doesn't finish at the rim or get fouled enough for my liking I mean, or just, you know, to create good efficiency. And that's because, you know, he can get bumped off spots from the moment that he creates separation until the moment that he releases the shot. Um, that to me, that's, there's nothing about his hand, his body composition that says that he won't be able to add uh, stable muscle and get to a point where he can finish and create um, separation effectively. Uh, but there are concerns right now. Mm-hmm. And and that adding muscle is is that what you feel like sort of the counter to you know potentially throwing a guard on him that you know while he is skinny, I mean he's skinny for a seven footer. It's still two hundred pounds. So if you're throwing a small guy on him he should be able to take advantage of that, get into the paint. Yeah, and I think that there is a perception that, like, he's a tall guy who shoots a lot with a handle, so, like, who makes a lot of, like, very brave decisions, putting it kindly. But his turnover ratio is, like, 1.2 in uh, U18 competitions and 1.7 against mm-hmm. grown men. So, like, as much as he's getting bumped and, like, as much as he is getting hassled by these stronger players, regardless of talent level, he still doesn't really turn the ball over. And he's still finding ways to, to get off great passes while being physically overwhelmed. Um, so I think that that physical development um, is going to really change things, but it's not as though he's entirely bereft of uh, counters as a skinny person playing against, you know, grown men. Yeah. And in that playmaking, you mentioned, you know, an impressive assist to turnover ratio, even with these, some of these like overzealous passes. Um, what do you, what do you make of those? Like, obviously, you know, there's a lot of high end guard prospects that do have a lot of turnovers, maybe just because of a high usage or just kind of um, some adjustments that still need to be made to their game. To me, the, the playmaking is like one of the most intriguing parts of Poku. Um, are you, are you kind of in the same boat there and feel that that's going to be one of his most uh, useful aspects at com- coming into the NBA? And is, is that something that likely is going to have a decent learning curve to it as well? Yeah. I mean, he's so ambitious. This passing. Um, there's a lot of times where he just throws things where I'm like, I have no idea what you saw there and it'll get through, but he's clearly a person who is an experimental passer. Um, and there's going to be a steep learning curve on that because you know, the difference in, in passing windows from, youth levels to the NBA is dramatic. Um, but he has uh, a assist turnover ratio that is outstanding relative to um, even like the other large creators that we have in our game today. So there's a lot of hope for that um, in terms of his vision. Um, I think that a lot of the, like the wilder stuff, like the behind the back um, 
Eurostep left-hand lob is just going to get phased out when, like, things matter. Mm-hmm. And I'm of the belief that I'd rather have a guy try too much cool uh, passes than too few because you can always, like, teach somebody to calm down. It's difficult to teach somebody to see up around a corner. It's difficult to teach somebody to uh, predict defensive movements and angles. Like, that's a, a much more innate skill, and I'd rather have a player have that and have them calm it down rather than trying to teach them, like, okay, so you're, you have to position this to thread this particular needle. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 35% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at Theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash blue wire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to Theragun.com slash blue wire. There definitely is a confidence that can just be felt watching some of these uh some of these Poku clips. And what do you make of I I've seen you post a couple on Twitter of these passes when, you know, they're not in uh, the greatest position to be caught by a teammate and then you still sort of see him getting flustered a bit. Um, d- does that worry you a bit? I know it's obviously hard to speak to a, a personality of a player, but when you see that on the floor a little bit, does that cause a little bit of worry for you? Not at all. Um, he's a 17-year-old. And especially, like, in the U18 clubs, he's 17 years old. And... Yeah. uh he seems to have been the most talented player on the floor every time he's ever stepped on a basketball court. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff's going to happen. Um, I think that the thing that I enjoyed most is like, yeah, the body language is a little bit uh, whatever, but he will have these moments where he gets frustrated and then he will try something crazy three positions later. So the dragon bender comparison um, could not be farther off in terms of wiring because Poku is probably going to be like one of the seven most confident people in the NBA the first day he shows up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which will definitely lead to some uh, entertaining attempts of plays for sure. Do you think that he'd be ideal? I know that you, you pointed out the difference in his rim finishing in transition compared to in the half court, Sacramento being a team that we, at least we all hope will get back to a high transition and high-paced team. It seems like at, at first, I, I you know, for most players, like a transition game is, is just a simplified game. But it seems like Poku specifically getting a board, being able to push it himself, would be very ideal in transition, right? Oh, it would be it would be a match made in heaven because he can be a first pass transition player or a second pass transition player. He can you know get the rebound and push himself, or he can you know be this the person who catches a pass from Fox and makes the right decision, um, whether it's a lob to Bagley or finding a shooter on the weak side. Um, I think that any team that drafts him has to get out and run really, really fast early because he's going to give up, you know, the strength concerns, um, especially in the first year or two. But in terms of, like, uh, players who Poku fits with, theoretically, and just in terms of um, component skills, Fox and Bagley are about as good as you could find if you're going to run. Before we, like, fully get into the Sacramento fit, I guess, um, to touch on the defense of, uh, of Poku a bit, um, obviously the the major appeal that, that I saw and you kind of pointed out was, was the stocks that he's giving you um, and the just great reads that you see um, on off ball defense. And then at other times he just looks completely lost. Do you feel like that's just kind of, you know, you're going to get that in most prospects or, you know, do you think that, do you think that Poku will, will be a very impactful off ball player um, for like likely for a good uh, portion of his career? A hundred percent. I think that the being a high stocks player leads to problems where you just kind of want to do stuff sometimes. So like there's times where he just like blind doubles at the top of the key. 
It's like, okay, I understand what you're thinking there. It's not the correct idea. But, like, you see a potential double, a chance to get a deflection. Um, the biggest issue that I have with this defense right now, again, aside from the consistent refrain of, you know, developing physically, is that his closeouts are awful. Um, yeah. He does not take good angles, um, and he struggles to, to hip, turn, and slide with somebody. Um, I think that that's going to lead to some, you know, some early problems because if you don't close out well in the NBA, um, I think you might be a little bit familiar. Um, granted, with some of Sacramento's current roster, like bad <laughs> things happen. Um, that being said, like, he's a really, really smart reader off ball, and I think that he's going to contribute to, um, to the ability to run with his stocks and deflections. And having somebody who can read tags and can read skip passes and can use their length to uh, warp the speed of a game is going to be something that pays dividends quickly, even if it may not necessarily result in wins and losses immediately. Mm-hmm. When you pointed out some of these closeouts in, in clips, it it was a uh, yeah definitely a couple PTSD moments uh, from a Sacramento fan for sure. Um, so what do you make of of his perimeter defense when he is asked to guard on the ball, um, which obviously, ideally, uh, you would be having him off the ball as often as possible on defense. But we know uh, Sacramento coaching staff does not often do the most ideal thing for their prospects here. So what do you make of the the on-ball defense when Poku is forced to do that? It's a mixed bag. Um, you know, he can be over-aggressive, which someone has the right physical abilities, he can get blown by. Um, that being said, he... I think he leans a little bit more towards playing with fire where he's like, he really wants to cry people. And I like the idea that a seven foot tall, uh, 17 year old, like guard wing, like really wants to slide with people at half court. Mm-hmm. And it, at least to me shows that like he has the fire to want to defend and he has the, you know, the inclinations towards technique. Like, almost no 17 year old is ever a good defender, no matter how physically gifted they are. It's just incredibly difficult to, to be so like technically competent on a possession by possession basis. But Poku has a lot of really good possessions where he's sliding with cards. Um, you know, he'll fight through a pin down to catch the ball, you know, get skinny under a screen and reattach. Like there's some really good moments. And I think that that's something that can happen down the road. Um, you're probably going to have to pick and choose who he guards um, in terms of matchups uh, just based on limitations. But I think that there's um a lot of room for um, positive projection with on-ball defense on, you know, ones, twos, and threes maybe. I don't know, maybe ones, depends on the one. But, I mean, he can, he can go strive for strive with people. He's a fast dude. Yeah, and just for the sake of the listeners here, obviously, you know, while he is seven feet, there's no – you're not counting on, on post-up defense here, right? It's mainly coming back to that, uh, the scrawniness to him. Yeah, uh, I mean, he can help over top. Um, he's – not bad vertically. Um, his, his instincts are pretty good, and his arms are, are very, very long. But he's going to get bumped out of the way. Um, he does a good job of um, staying side-by-side with, like, wings who are slashing. But if you post him up, you will get a bucket. Um, and then, obviously, there is a lot of the length there for Poku, but you pointed out at one point that there was a real lack of athleticism for him, at least compared to, you know, NBA-level athleticism. And... I often hear that, you know, that is what makes like these ultimate high ceiling guys. Um, obviously there are outliers. You think of like Jokic, obviously. Um, what do you, what do you make of the lack of athleticism and what that does for Poku down the road? So I would say that there's a lack of athletic development from Poku. Um, his stride length is not maximized. Um, he has some hip impingement in how he moves. Um, it's very fluid, like side to side, but forward, he doesn't get as much of a stride as you'd want. And then his core is not strong enough to be hyper explosive. Um, to me, that's just the, like, I think that the most important thing that you can do with underdeveloped prospects is identifying that they were in, like, bad strength conditioning programs or suboptimal strength conditioning programs. And then saying, like, well, if he's here, that's going to be better. If we can get him to P3, if we can, you know, use our world-class training staff, like that's going to look dramatically different. So I wouldn't look at his physical abilities and say, like, oh, he's a bad athlete. It's what here can be fixed. And I think a lot of what can be fixed with him, you know, the tight hamstrings, the suboptimal core, just the upper body general weakness, um, the stride length, is things that I would feel extremely positive about with an NBA training staff. Mm-hmm. 
does that also include, you know, teams that have a lower level of uh, athletic or of development shown in the past, Sacramento obviously being one of those teams, um, obviously, you know, not to always go back to this like weak Giannis comparison, but you see the way that he was bulked up and gives you a little bit of confidence in say Milwaukee staff there. Um, maybe it fully goes to Giannis, you know, but do you have, do you feel like even a below average NBA staff, um, would you, would you trust them with Poku, I guess? Yeah. I mean, um, what are your feelings on, I don't know, the past five drafts with how the, the physio staff has done with like Bagley and like De'Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they've they've shown that much progress. Like, I, I think they still are fairly slender. Um, like, Fox just does a great job of being strong and playing through that contact even without just having gained that much muscle. I think it would do a lot for him to to do that. And Bagley just kind of sitting a lot. Uh, they, I haven't seen as much strength development as I would like with some of these guys for sure, um, which definitely makes me a little skeptical here. And while I've been a little hypothetical of saying I think that, uh, you know, Sacramento, it makes sense to take a high upside guy. And I, I really like to Patrick Williams, but then at the same time been like, I don't know how much I trust them to mold a Poku. Yeah, I mean, and Powell has less like general physical issues, but he has like one extremely definite physical issue that needs to be solved by his NBA staff. So I think that like from, from an outsider, I feel like they've done an okay job and um, with like, like Darren's bigger and be stronger and he hasn't lost like mobility, which would obviously be the worst right. possible circumstance. And it's the same thing for, for Bagley. So I think that like as an okay staff, if, it, if you just think that it grades out as like, average or like in the you know the 15 to 20 range like I would trust them with Poku especially if like P3 is involved and you know the his agency which I think is Wasserman um make sure that he takes his physical development as seriously as possible and it seems to suggest that he has so far and for the team that does draft Poku um what do you what do you feel like the best development plan is for him um say out the gate you know I've been very big especially after the terrible Orlando performance on saying that Sacramento should just turn their focus to 2021 and you know that Poku almost seems like a two-and-one with that right where he's not going to be the greatest impact in year one in the first place so you're preaching the choir about 2021 um I think that Poku can produce in 2020 if you really need him to. I just don't think it's particularly valuable. Like, you're getting somebody who, like, is high school senior-aged. If you were an American, you'd be spending another year here, basically. Like, another year on the system. Um, So, expecting him and, like, force-feeding him NBA minutes, and this is somebody who has, like, less than 800 minutes over the last three years of, like, high-level basketball being played, or and so I would say that, like, I would want him to, to spend 75% of his time in the G League with, like, 20 NBA games mixed in there with, like, definite uh, minutes limits. Um, if you're going to need if, – if he gets drafted by Sacramento, you just, like – he spends every single day with Rico Hines, um, making sure that the development staff, when he gets into NBA games, knows that he has certain packages, whether that's, like, a – uh, a Bagley Poku's, you know, uh, Spain pick and roll, you know, have him sprint lanes, make sure that the pace, like, turns up even higher when he's in the game. Um, like, his shot blocking is going to translate. His stocks are going to translate. I believe his shooting will translate. Um, but having a longer vision for, you know, making sure he gets as many minutes as possible for somebody that's been minutes restricted for a number of years. Um, and as you build, like, a body, you need to always be mindful of how the weight is affecting them and how the growth process is affecting them. So I would say that if you're drafting him, you need to have the view that, like, he's buried treasure to be your second 2021 draft pick, essentially, and that if that means that you're bad and you can, you know, burn one more year of, you know, year and feeling like you guys should contend and not, like, you know, absolutely wonderful position for 2021. Yeah, which I definitely lean towards. I mean, the team is not as young as as many tend to think they are. And, um, you know, it's, uh, to me, I kind of view it as one waste year versus, you know, you're just wasting time until De'Aaron would eventually ask out because you're going to be stuck in this spot. Um, you know, if, if they would have had a successful 
bubble trip and were competing for this eight, nine spot, then like going into the year, I think a lot of, or going into the bubble, a lot of Sacramento fans were very much on like a Sadiq Bay type of train um, of just the idea of a high floor guy. And part of that also is Sacramento fans don't have the most trust in their development staff. Um, and you just want a surefire prospect after, you know, having a couple busts get picked there. But yeah, I know I've definitely come around to going after the high floor guy. And like you're saying, going all in on uh, 2021 draft Bagley is still an extremely young prospect, even though he has had obviously multiple years of not seeing the floor as often as you would like. Um, I've also had or seen you mention that you don't think that Poku's floor is as low as most people are making it out to be. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but what do you yeah. think would be the translatable skills even in a low end outcome for Poku? I mean, with most players who are minutes restricted, they often have like really poor feel. Um, you know, they're usually guys who are, you know, super athletic or, you know, have one skill, but they can't stay on the floor for, you know, either it's foul trouble or due to the game or whatever. But Poku has a really, really high feel. Um, and when you combine that with the shooting, the shot blocking, um, the general movement skills and the ability to just produce at a young age, pretty much regardless of the venue that he's playing in, I think that you have a combination for somebody that like, the mid-outcome for him is still, like, he's a shooting big who moves and block shots and doesn't turn the ball over. Like, that's an extremely valuable player. It can't happen as quickly as you'd like, but that guy is still going to produce, you know, something. I think that the other thing that I would like to sort of highlight about this draft in particular is that the difference between, like, strong drafts and weak drafts generally are how many safe guys are in it. Like, if you have, like, five superstars, people are going to call it a strong draft, but, like, that's only five picks. This draft is different because, like, there's actually almost nobody who's legitimately safe. Mm. Like, Sadiq sounds safe, and then you watch the tape of Sadiq sliding in space, and then right. you think about like, oh, we're in we're in the West. Like you can't slide in space. Like Dame Lillard is going to light him on fire every single time. Steph is going to light him on fire every single time. Dev is going to light him on fire every single time. Right. And people like Obi, where it's like, oh, well, what happens if you put a pick and roll? Can you hedge? Can you drop? Can you mm-hmm. blitz? Like. There's so many players that seem safe because you're like, well, we have the 12th pick this year. The 12th pick usually means, like, no, this is probably closer to most years, like a 21st pick. Right. So if you're treating it like it's a 21st pick, but at 21 you want a safe guy, that guy generally doesn't pan out. Once you get to, a, you know, in a normal draft, it would be a lower pick. You start taking big cuts, and you believe in the people that you've hired. Like, I mean, Rico Hines is somebody that, like, is a, is a legendary so if you have somebody who is a legitimately legendary developer, you give them a real project and say, all right, let's see what we can do. And you just tell Fox, like, hey, we're going to try to get Cade or, you know, or JJ or BJ Paulson or whatever, and say, hey, we need a year. We don't know how, um, like, if it, if it requires slow playing badly, it requires slow playing badly. But, like, this is not a bad process to embark on because there's a pieces of a really good team and there's a vision of a really good team because all these players fit together. It's just getting them on the same timeline and – maybe realigning some of the expectations around that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right, especially to me uh, getting on that same timeline there. And and, and you kind of mentioned a bit that you feel like, um, well, first of all, I, I think that, you know, it would say a lot about the philosophy of the new GM to come in and pick what is a, um, a project big and go after the high upside guy rather than the high floor. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of, moves to really chase that eight seed and I think that that can leave you leave you stuck in the nine ten spot where you're not picking top of the draft you're not actually making the playoffs and stopping this ridiculous drought that they've just kind of become obsessed with um and you know Poku is a guy that that fits that philosophy that I'm looking for but at the same time like you mentioned also fits the current roster um, and can you just dive into why you think that him working with Fox and Bagley specifically um, is an ideal pairing there between the three of them? I mean, because you can, if those are your three starters, you can basically slide in anything else at, you know, two and three or two and four, or however you want to define these positions, um, as long as they shoot. And so it gives you a flexibility to highlight what makes Bagley special and what makes De'Aaron special. And what makes Poku special while having flexibility with the rest of your team. Um, if you were to lock yourself into like a player like, you know, say a Wiseman um, or an Obi, like suddenly your team has to look a very specific way around them. And when 
you are a team that's not just looking to break a streak, but to like actually reestablish themselves in into the playoffs, you need to have a theory of what your team is going to be and making the contingency of that theory, like the 12th pick in a bad draft doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like if you pick Sadiq, literally everybody else on the defense has to be hypermobile. And then you're in a tough spot because now you've stapled your playoff hopes, you know, if you're trying to make the AC uh, seven seed run next year and difficult West to will this older guy like develop lateral quickness in a way that hasn't really happened. Um, and that's to me is a really difficult bet um, where if you were to re- 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 retain flexibility, add a little more pieces, um, get badly timed to get healthy so you don't have to rush his recovery, which is a concern that I think a lot of people have. Um, and, you know, just asking Fox for one more year of patience, then you have a whole bunch of uh, things happening in 21. Uh, moving forward, you have, you know, flexibility for how your team works. You have flexibility for um, the health of the players, and you can really run. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. It's interesting to me how often you're mentioning Bagley. Um, I am guilty of this, and, and a lot of people are saying that you know the building should not be focused around Bagley anymore. A lot of that having to do with him just simply not being able to get out on the floor. But as someone that really focuses um, on the draft, can you can you shed a little bit of light of like what it was that you saw from Bagley? Because my understanding is that he was also labeled as one of these somewhat unique prospects coming out, right? Yeah, um, I mean with Bagley. All centers with um, like how ridiculously athletic he is, and the idea that you could play him at five, um, like that was the pitch for what makes Bagley different than like other guys who are fours, but maybe like a little bit more of a limited four. Um, and I think that you sort of have to build around Bagley regardless of um, your expectations of him, because whatever role Bagley fills is going to be need to, need to be filled by somebody else. If you're a team that runs, you need to have a small ball five. That five needs to be hyper-athletic, needs to be able to move their feet, uh, weak side shot block, and push pace. So if that's Marvin Bagley, that's Marvin Bagley. I mean, he's if hopefully he can get healthy from these injuries. Um, hopefully, you know, the jumper can develop, um, and so can, you know, the, the rim protection numbers start to get a little bit better. But that's the archetype that you want, and the worst thing that you can do is either draft somebody that moves him away from that archetype, you know, forcing the team into less of what seems to be like an actual like identity. Um, so I just don't think it is um, – there's nobody in this draft that's going to take that spot per se, like to be like, okay, this is now your franchise five who's going to run and jump. Um, but you also don't lose anything by like having a little more patience with his development because like he's gotten better. He's also just gotten hurt. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Part of me at points in the year was questioning if the pace disappeared. Um, and, and, you know, it didn't fully, but lowered down to the point that it did because Bagley wasn't out there since he is such a focal piece of that pace. You mentioned uh, playing the five there. Getting back to Poku a little bit, like on, on the board that you have here, do you, you – I think we this was maybe before we press record, but you said it's kind of you, – you have your top however many in, then it's just a pool of – of the rest kind of depending on what each team uh, is looking for. Am I right in that? Yeah. I mean, there's kind of a ledge after number three. in this draft, um, And that seems to be how every mock draft plays out is regardless of how trades work, whether, you know, Golden State and Minnesota trade out or just one or neither. Like once you get to three, every mock draft kind of starts. And there's a ledge where everybody has their own, um, Preferences, they have their own beliefs about how player development works. They have their beliefs about how fit works. And in circumstances like that, you know, if this year is similar to 2013 and that there's just a pool of guys 
Um, you know, there's some tearing, but there's some guys who are clearly, you know, not going to fall. But beyond that, like, just pick the guy that you believe works in your system that you believe you can develop. And if it looks bad on draft day, it may not look bad five years from now when nobody really remembers, like, the slight difference between guys who are, you know, eighth on your board or tenth on your board. Just take the one that you believe that you can develop and move on. Right. And just just uh, for clarity, that top three is a Ball, Edwards, Wiseman, right? Uh, Ball, Edwards, Killian Hayes. For me. Oh, Hayes. But okay, right, right. I, I just think that uh, uh, without going down the Wiseman hole, uh, you don't take bigs unless you like they can have a firm identity in a playoff series, and I don't believe that. Um, uh, with with Wiseman, um, I don't think Killian will go top three um, in this particular draft. I think Killian will probably go number four. Wiseman's probably going to go in the top five. Um, don't get fired for taking somebody who looks like James Wiseman. It's just sort of how the NBA works. Yeah. But um, if you assume that those are four of the top five, like then you know the draft starts at five. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a year where people um, have to bet big. Yeah, understandably, and I would have uh, no problem with with Sacramento doing that. And um, I want to just kind of get your thoughts. Uh, you know, briefly on, on a couple other guys that you see mentioned uh, by Sacramento fans and, and media, a lot is potential picks there at that 12 spot. What do you make of, uh, of uh, Aaron Neesmith, who, you know, there was a, obviously that just extremely ridiculous three-point shooting um, over a somewhat small sample of games, but a good amount of threes there. What do you make of, of Neesmith, where it seems to all revolve around that one skill? It revolves around that one skill and that one particular way. Unlike like somebody like Poku, there's not a lot of versatility within those attempts. Um, everything's kind of on the catch. And uh, it worries me a lot when guys rise up for not playing. And that's sort of the circumstance that he's been in. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very good shooter. I don't think he's one of the three best shooters in this draft, which is kind of what he would need to be to make that value worthwhile. So, um I mean, if you like that archetype, I think somebody like Desmond Bain, who's not going to go 12, is something that you would have to trade up to get later in this draft. But there's, you know, viable alternatives that are not um, are not going to cost too much draft capital, but have the same skill setting. That's a, a slight overpay for a somewhat one-dimensional player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Sacramento having 35, 43, and 52 as well, it definitely wouldn't surprise me for them to package some of those. There's no way you're bringing four new guys onto the roster, I would think. Um, and then, yeah, we touched on on Patrick Williams a bit, but can you uh, just go into what you think of him as a prospect being another one of these young uh, guys that is a little bit more on the raw side? Yeah, um, so Pat Williams is, I think, the, the second youngest player in this draft. He might be third. Um, uh, absolutely wonderful defensive player. Um, tries his ass off on every single possession. Um, he is somebody who, like, looking at him, doesn't seem like a jump shooter, but has a track record of being a knockdown shooter. Um, good wingspan. Pretty nutty athlete. Um, stocks monster as well. Um, he's a big, he's a big wing, so he, like, people are going to throw out. Like, he's, he will play the same archetypal role as a Kawhi. Um, his issue is that he has issues moving laterally because he got too strong in his quads. Um, so there's a lot of film of him just like getting blown out of the water, um, which wasn't present in his high school tape. Um, I think that it would be you know another great developmental pick. Um, he's going to require patience, but he would be uh, a wonderful fit if you believe in the Sacramento development staff and you know are looking for a big wing who can shoot. One other one I want to ask you about here is your feelings on Okoro versus Vassell. I think it's, you know, somewhat similar roles that you would ask of those guys in regards to uh, the position they'd be playing. And obviously a lot of it revolves around uh, the shooting of Okoro panning out. But it seems like from from mocks of well-informed guys that Okoro will probably get taken for, before Vassell. Um, but, you know, I, under, I see a lot of people advocating that they feel like Vassell – um, should be over a Coro. My co-host who's not here today, Rich, uh, definitely feels that way as well, and I, I totally understand that thought there. How are you on a Coro versus Vassell? So it's how you value skills. Um, Vassell is like a perfect defender. He does not make mistakes. Uh, a lot of times it can feel like he's a psychic person 
because he just like knows where to be at the right time. He doesn't have a big wingspan, but he consistently is at the right place at the right time. Um, he has shot versatility. Um, the creation is still developing. He's on the younger side for being a sophomore. Uh, he does not turn the ball over ever. Um, there's He's on the skinny side to be determined how much actual weight he could have. He's more of a three than a straight four. Um, so he would be, you know, a component to a good defense, but not necessarily somebody that you can just put on an island against, you know, uh, a jumbo creator and feel wonderful. Um, where Okoro um, is sort of the opposite. Okoro is a good creation defense, or, you know, will create things on offense with his short roll passing. Um, he's a free throw tank. I think like, his free throw rate was like 0.54. Um, basically, you couldn't stop him from getting to the rim um, if he had any kind of a head of steam. Uh, he's somebody who, like, is the head of defense. You do feel comfortable, even though his arms are a little short. He's not quite as big as you would like. Um, you know, as somebody that is the architect, arch- archetypical, um, you know, put him on an island and feel good about it. A good passer, uh, makes quick, decisive reads. Um, if people ever, you know, start blitzing Fox, you can, you know, just give him, you know, a four on three and make good decisions. Um, so it's all about valuing what you think the direction of this team is going to be. Um, I, had, I do have one more name, somebody that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. um, and I think is a good fit, um, Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, uh, a noted uh, documented friend of Fox, even. Uh, I mean, so the pitch with Maxey starts with the fact that, like, for a long time, like, the stigma around Sacramento was, like, people didn't want to play there. And Fox sort of stood out and be like, no, I really want to, like, I want my own team. I want to be, like, a guy who's different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Part of the thing is Fox is that like, he's, he's wired just like awesome. Maxie's in the same mold. Like when you watch any of the the interviews with him, like he, he, you're willing to do whatever for this dude. He's seen, he's more excited about Nick Richards making 60 foot passes than like any of his own highlights. Uh, he's you know breaking into smiles whenever teammates make good rotations. Like he's wiring is a thing that's hard to define, but you know somebody who's going to be uh, a culture shifter themselves when you see it. Um, and then. If you want to play fast and you need somebody to make good reads after uh, Fox tilts a defense, Maxie's the ideal of it. Uh, another just strong dude who wants to hurt people at the rim. Um, you know, he's he's on the small side for a guard, but if you're playing him off guard, that's not super important because he's just going to um, already be starting with an advantage. Wasn't a great shooter at Kentucky. Um, has small tweaks that he made to the jumper, but um, takes and makes tough shots. Um, and is a historically good shooter when you consider his uh, his youth priors. Um, good free throw shooter. Uh, makes good passing reads for the tilted defense. A little bit tough when he's the main guy, which, again, wouldn't be a problem. Um, and then he's capable of guarding up positions because he's so strong. That's not going to be a um, – and that, like, Max, you probably won't turn into a superstar. But if you're looking to build a, like, Milwaukee-style system where, like, everybody is a good defender and, you know, everybody does their job, they can knock down shots, and you know there's just a whole bunch of strong dudes who make great rotations defensively. Like Maxi's a wonderful choice there. Yeah, and you mentioned you know him potentially being a bit of a culture setter. Like, I mean, if Kent Bazemore can come in and feel like he changes the culture, you got to think a guy like Maxi would be able to come in and uh, do that as well. And yeah, I, I like that you um, addressed that you know him playing up some positions defensively. I think that's where a lot of the concerns would come from with Kings fans is seeing another six three guard alongside Fox. Um, but you know that defensive pairing totally could work itself out together. And I've seen a. Uh, Definitely more advocates of Maxi in uh, in recent times for that 12 pick for Sacramento. Yeah, and I think that um, this team has had a. If you were of the mindset that Sacramento needs the eight seed, I would probably pick Maxi because like Maxi is going to contribute to wins very quickly. Um, this is just sort of a plug and play player. Um, if you you know are willing to set aside the three point shooting, um, if you're you know thinking of more of uh, maybe players on this team aren't like the plug and play guys for me are Vasil and Maxi. Um, the you know some of the guys currently on the roster aren't building blocks. It'd be like a Coro, um, and then you know then you have the like well let's bury treasure. Um, I'm willing to be bad, and that'd be Powell and Boku. Mm-hmm. And personally, do you have a fit between the two that you like better for Sacramento? There, I mean, I, I really like Maxi. Um, I I don't know if that. Blends long term. 
Um, I and I tend to be a lot more um, like risk seeking, and so for everyone, I feel like I tell them to take Batwell or Boku. Um, yeah. And it's like obviously it's not my job, so you know the new GM and Walden are going to have to have um, a sit down and, and figure out exactly what the goals are for next year. Um, I would, I think this roster is a little bit harder than than teams probably do, and probably ownership does. So I would say uh, one of Pat Boku or um, or Maxi, honestly, um, just because I think Maxi is going to help the Hawks a lot um, in terms of dealing with uh, the difficulties of losing and, and the difficulties of uh, of feeling like you know the guy going to war every day. Um, right. But I, I think that this draft. Falling is not a bad position. Like being 12th is not a particularly difficult spot. I think to me, the worst spot in this draft would be is like six to eight because, you know, there's the expectation that those players contribute immediately. And yet this draft doesn't necessarily have those or it doesn't have those in the, you know, the right shapes for what teams are looking for. So I think that, you know, it's weird. People, you know, want to rise up the draft, but also this is a weak draft. Those two ideas kind of can't be held in the same, uh, in, in the same mind. So, I mean, I think 12 is an interesting place, and this is a really fascinating selection. Yeah, I know Kings fans are definitely going to be looking forward to it, and I'm sure you're going to keep up great coverage of all the guys in this draft and future drafts as well. Um, Again, everybody, be sure to check out PDWeb on Twitter at AboveTheBreak3. Subscribe to the Patreon there. you got great work going on there, man. And uh, maybe just to close out here, can you give an elevator pitch on – why Sacramento should take Pokusevsky? Because having fun is fun. And um, Kings fans don't know fun. This this team would be so much fun. This team would be so much fun. You'd have three guys who uh, get to run up and down the court are willing to be uh, to put their bodies out on the line, which is something that I've always really appreciated about Bagley and Box. You'd have a team that um, plays fast, makes quick decisions, um, is super versatile, and the way forward seems to be leading into this identity of, uh, of slow development, shooting, and attacking the rim. I'm definitely a fan. I wouldn't be as upset as I thought I would be earlier in this uh, process of diving into these guys. A lot of it probably has to do with that bubble performance. Um, but, yeah, definitely going to be interested to see what Sacramento do does with pick 12 when that time comes around and uh but thank you pd for coming on and taking the time man i really appreciate you uh yeah taking the time out of your day man thank you very much i appreciate it and uh, thank you for having me yeah and thank you everybody for listening to this episode of king's Bulls podcast hear from us again in the next couple of days Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props for Bet On, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.